welcome to the Truth and Grace podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Rust, and I want to thank you for joining me today. On Truth and Grace, we tackle tough topics in the Christian church, and we do it by strengthening believers through God's word and pointing to his abundant grace. I don't sugarcoat it over here, but I do hope to wrestle with the messy in grace. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I want to ask for your help. If you enjoyed this show, would you mind subscribing and leaving a review? By doing both, you greatly help this show in its visibility and in its ability just getting, you know, the message out there to more people. So, you know, I hope that you'll please consider helping with a subscribe and a review. In addition, consider becoming a Patreon supporter and help sustain this ministry through a monthly gift. You can learn more about that in my show notes. And let me just tell you that I offer some pretty awesome perks within those tiers. So go check it out. Now, today on the show, I want to talk about something I mentioned in my last episode about church correction. If you do not know my story, I went through a moral failure um, at the age of 25. I was serving in ministry at a large church in the Midwest. I absolutely loved it. I was a part of a healthy, vibrant church, and I'm so grateful for that. But um, I was in a relationship and I had sex outside of marriage. And I knew that when I confessed to my fast, my pastors, what that would mean. And so I did confess and um, had to step out of ministry. And so I went through church correction in that process. And I know when I say that a lot of people think they hear those words and there's a negative connotation associated with that term of church correction. But, uh, and, and maybe that's because, you know, they've been hurt by the church. They knew someone that had been judged and a situation in the church hadn't been treated well. I was able to walk through that um, in a way that was very biblical. My pastors walked that journey with me in a biblical way. They responded in truth, but they also showed me grace. Um, honestly, that experience has so just um, put in my heart this conviction about truth and grace, right? Because you need both. There's, it's a balance. They're, they're, they marry together, this truth and grace. And so I want to talk um, about that with you, about church correction, and not just in that way about church discipline, but you know, also in regards to like, if you have a friend or if you know someone that's entangled into a, a sin lifestyle, how do you approach that person and confront that sin? You know, going back to my personal experience, my pastors confronted, you know, the, the sin. And because of that, there were the natural consequences of me having to step out of ministry, but they did it in such a gracious, loving way that I knew that they still loved me. I knew what they were doing was biblical and they were honoring, but also they loved me and they cared about me and they walked through that with me. It's not like they cut me off. They continue to walk that journey with me. I continue to go to that church for years, several years. I'm still in a very good relationship with those, with my pastors. And um, I'm so thankful that I was able to experience that in a very biblical and gracious way. And I've seen that, seen them walk through that with other people um, in ministry as well within the church. And so there's definitely, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult line to walk because, you know, so many people do get it wrong. There, 
you do have to navigate that in a very delicate way where, you know, you confront the sin and you, and you deal with that. You do it in truth, but you also remember this is some, this is a person and you want to love that person and show them grace through the process as well. So today we're going to talk about just um, a little bit about church discipline and how do you walk through that on a more personal level with a friend. Okay. So we're going to talk about those two. I'm going to start with church discipline. Now, many who hear the two words church discipline fear the idea of it or, you know, maybe themselves experience some bad form of it. Either way, church discipline is not meant to be this archaic practice that scares believers. In fact, if done in a healthy and loving way, church discipline is a beautiful thing. Now, let me explain. So church discipline is reserved for two situations. Okay, the first is when a member of the church or fellowship resists correction from two or three people who have witnessed the person's sin. This process is outlined in Matthew 18, and we'll discuss it here in just a moment. The second is confronting a leader in a church who needs to be held accountable. Now, both situations must be handled with absolute truth, but also with grace and love. Without grace and love in the equation, church discipline will leave wounds and cause disunity within the body. You know, consider the dynamics of a parent-child relationship. Discipline is part of a loving, corrective process to help the child mature and grow into a well-rounded person. You know, no good parent loves to discipline their children. I, I hate disciplining Roman, but out of love, I do it for his ultimate good. That's why we do it. Our Heavenly Father does the same for His children, you know, for us. He corrects us when we sin, and He restores us lovingly if we humble ourselves. Discipline has a heavy and fearful sound to it for those who have experienced it done incorrectly, which is many people. But if done right, it can be exactly what a person needs to be directed down a good path and to grow into the person God envisions him or her to be. It is designed to bring people back into relationship with God and his church. It's a loving act of brotherhood and sisterhood with everyone coming around the broken person in love and grace. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if a person is discovered in some sin, you who are spiritual restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Wow, do you hear that? In a spirit of gentleness. Now, I'm thankful I experienced it this way. I experienced it in gentleness. It is quite possible that if my sin had not been dealt with in a healthy and godly way, I could have been hurt to the point of division. I could have become angry and bitter, distancing myself from God in the body of Christ. Yet because I underwent godly church discipline, I continued to go to that church for many years and experienced incredible support and restoration. 2 Corinthians 2 verses 5 through 8 tell us, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it so severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so you should rather turn to forgive and confront and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. I am thankful I went through church discipline. That's not something you're going to hear a lot, but I am thankful for it. It was incredibly hard. In fact, it was one of the hardest things I've ever been through. 
but through such repentance, I found support from the church community around me. And it was, and I was able to work through what I had done in a healthy way. I truly do not think I would have walked through that valley and be where I am today without it. Restoration would not have been possible. Discipline, it's never easy. You know, it's a fire of sorts, a fire we have to walk through. But if done the right way, it is a fire by which a person is refined. I just want you to know that the words church discipline do not have to be scary. And it is not wrong for a church to do such a thing. In fact, it is very necessary in certain situations. Sin cannot be allowed to simmer under the surface or be swept under the rug. Like yeast in a batch of dough, sin will work its way through the body and it must be dealt with. I want to talk about discipline regarding a leader, someone in ministry, a pastor, what I went through. Now, regarding dealing with pastors and other prominent church leaders who are caught in sin, 1 Timothy 5 verses 19 through 20 say this, Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. Leaders are meant to be an example and therefore above reproach. They lead by example and show others how to live a life wholly submitted to Christ. But as they lead in godliness by example, they must also be an example to how sin destroys. When temptation takes root in a pastor's heart and sin has entered into his or her life, greater discipline is required. Discipline that serves as an example to the consequences of sin. Church leaders are shepherds over their flocks. They are responsible for the care of the people they lead. If a leader falls into sin, it is necessary for that leader to confess and repent before them. It is an obligation they have to those in their care. It also serves as a cautionary tale and warns others to stay far from sin. I had to go to the leadership team I worked with to confess my sin. Some pastors and senior leaders may have to go in front of the whole church for confession, which I have seen as well. In general, leaders are held to a higher standard due to a more public role and thus must be disciplined before the body they serve. Again, the discipline must be done in love, humility, and grace. Without those conditions in place, the discipline will lack the purity required for genuine transformation to take place. But done right, church discipline can be a conduit to grace and redemption in the body of Christ. This is what scripture says about discipline regarding a spiritual leader, someone in the church. You know, sometimes churches, they hide the sin, they they put it under the rug and they just move on and go, or they just fire the person and no one knows what happened. But the biblical response to an uh, to a pattern of sin is to address it. And depending on the level of leadership, for me, I wasn't on the platform. My leadership wasn't on the platform. So my correction was not done on the platform. It was done among uh, the staff that I worked with in the department that I worked with. But for those who are on the platform, there should be a correction that, you know, reflects that by being on the platform. And and we see this in scripture. And again, if it's done in a biblical, gentle, gracious way, it's done right. And it's done in a healthy way. And it's for the 
betterment of the person. And so church discipline has a scary connotation with it, but it doesn't have to be this bad thing that we avoid. It can be done in a very biblical way. Now, the second thing I want to talk about is, you know, discipline regarding a friend. What do you do if you know someone who's living in a sin lifestyle or did something that they knew was wrong and are trying to hide it? What do you do in that situation? Well, Jesus's words in Matthew 18 verses 15 through 17 give us a very clear path for dealing with a friend or a family member who is sinning against us. Church discipline might be needed as a part of the process. It says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, there are four steps outlined in this passage that tell us how to deal with the matter of sin. The first is this. Go to the person one-on-one. If you see sin in a friend's or a family member's life or a co-worker's life, go to that person. If you have a problem with them, speak to him or her first. Talking it out as two people honestly and in love is by far the best first approach. You never know. You could be perceiving the situation incorrectly. Or your friend might repent without having to take the matter any further. The second step is to bring another along. If going to the person alone does not work to bring repentance or reconciliation, it is time to bring another into the mix who can act as a further witness to the need for correction. But this is important, okay? Make sure it is a godly person who can be trusted. Someone who knows both you and the person being approached. That witness can confirm what is going on and help the person being confronted to comprehend the sin or the wrong being done. Now the third step, tell it to the church. If neither the first nor second approach works, it is time to bring it to the church. Now note this, the assumption is that the church is a loving fellowship that will not bring a charge with impure motives. And the fourth, separation. If nothing works to bring repentance from the sinner, ties must be cut. This is not meant to be an unloving act, but rather separation from sin. You can still extend love and grace to the person. But the fact is, if at this point the person's heart has not been softened, chances are it might never be. Better to create distance so that the sin is not like yeast that spreads throughout the body. If you see sin in another person's life, or if you are upset with someone who has hurt you, Matthew 18 is the solution. It is the process God has established, and you are not above it, no matter how right or justified you might feel to go to, an to another. One of the quickest ways of causing division in the body of Christ is by circumventing healthy conflict. I cannot tell you how many times I have watched someone discuss with one person the problem he or she has with another person instead of talking to the offending person directly. You may feel you have the purest motives in telling an outside party, but that is not biblical and it is wrong. Matthew 18 tells you to go to that person if there is fault. Not a boss, not a pastor, not anyone else, period. 
bringing another person into the situation takes place only when you have approached the person without resolution. You may then move to step two of the process, which is including someone else in the discussion who might help the individual turn from sin. Would you want someone going to others and saying negative things about you? Would you want your name and character smeared? Of course not. So never do it to someone else. Always follow Jesus's words in Matthew 18 in a conflict. So when responding to a person who has sinned, let's discuss um, how to respond to, you know, the sinner individually. What if you learn that a friend or a family member has sinned, perhaps even in a way you thought unimaginable? How do you interact with someone who has disappointed you, shocked you, or done something a bit awkward and messy? One of the things I noticed most after my moral failure was the way Christians were unsure of how to respond to me. During that period of my life, I had friends respond both graciously and not so graciously. I mean, I get it. You care about the person, but it's sin. So how do you respond? Well, from someone who has been on the receiving end of many responses, here are some tips I hope you will consider when responding to a person who is sinning or undergoing correction. And just to be clear, the the first two points I talked about is how do you deal with sin and leadership in a church? And how do you respond to sin with someone that you know? Now, this is how to work through someone after the process, right? You, you know, this isn't about confronting the sin, but this is how you walk through that with someone that you know. The first thing that you want to do is be honest. A good friend is there for another, but a good friend also does not ignore the sin. Ignoring it does not make it go away or help the heart condition of your friend. Confrontation, it's never easy, but if done correctly, it can be one of the best things you could ever do for your friend. Remember, always follow Matthew 18 in the situation. It might be hard for your friend, but I promise that in the end, confronting the sin is the best possible thing you can do. Be gracious. Let me give you a bit of insight. True believers who fall into sin feel an incredible amount of shame and guilt. They probably feel a wedge between them and God, and they most likely feel as if other Christians will cast judgment their way should the scarlet letter be revealed. Judgment never brings someone to repentance or healing. As a friend, you above all should be an extension of grace. Furthermore, you are a sinner too, and yet God has extended incredible grace towards you. As a recipient of grace, you have no place to harbor judgment in your heart. In fact, those who have received the grace of God should be the greatest givers of it. Be an extension of grace in your friend's life. Grace does not mean you are accepting the sin. It means you are looking past the sin to be there for a friend in need. Now be empathetic. If we are honest, we all have had or have had something in our lives that is a stronghold or lingering sin. Pride, lying, drunkenness, judgment of others, gossip, something that our flesh has a struggle shaking loose from. You might not be able to relate to your friend's specific sin, but surely you can relate to the feeling of shame or guilt that accompanies sin. When you have a friend in this dark and lonely place, you can be one of the greatest blessings by really being there. Really being there means extending empathy. Empathy is, you know, more than just feeling bad for someone. It's putting yourself in the person's shoes and feeling along with him or her. Put yourself in those shoes of guilt and really be there as a positive support system. And then last, 
be accountable. Making a commitment to refrain from sin and actually doing it are two different things. It may be hard for your friend to stay the course, at least for a while. Offer to provide some accountability, meaning if you know of some questionable circumstances or think there's a possibility for temptation, ask your friend how he or she is doing. People are less likely to do something wrong, or at least will think twice about it if they know they will be asked about it. Now, I hope this provides some insight into how you can respond to a friend caught up in sin. Friendships are a blessing from the Lord, and these harder seasons can be great for fostering stronger believers and stronger friendships. This is not the time to see something messy and pull away. That is not what your friend needs. Forge through the messy, extend a little grace, and choose to partner with your friend through restoration. Discipline, sin, and betrayal of trust are all messy and difficult situations to work through. There is, however, a godly and proper way to navigate it all. How you choose to walk through situations like this will be a major deciding factor in the longevity of your relationships. I hope you can see through my experience and others how confrontation and discipline can be a good thing. It's a redemptive act of love. I hope walking through this has helped you to see the biblical response to sin and to correction, to church discipline, that when done well and done right, that it's actually a very biblical and can be a beautiful act and that it's a conduit for redemption. I am so thankful. Again, I talked about it was one of the hardest things I've ever been through, but I'm so thankful for that because only through that was I allowed to truly repent and to find restoration and to heal and to walk through that that well and in a way that I was able to honestly turn away from my sin also. So if you have any questions about those biblical references I made, I'm going to put them in my show notes on the website so that you can reference those at a later time. And if you have any questions about church discipline or how do you respond to a friend, please message me, send me um, a message on my website. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. If this podcast is ministering to you or you think others might find it interesting, please subscribe and leave a review. A review helps this podcast grow, which helps get the word out to people besides you. You can also become a regular contributor to the show and Truth and Grace Ministries through Patreon. And you can find a link to my page in the show notes. Tune in again next month as we tackle tough topics in truth and grace. In the meantime, you can find more information about me, read weekly devotionals, and find out what I'm doing around the web at www.brittanyglass.com. I'll see you next time.